everybody, welcome back to Pretend World Drill People. As always, I'm Tyler, and if you would believe it, it is the first week of May 2022. Oh my god. This year's gone by way too quickly. I don't I don't know what to do with it. It's insane. Uh I'm turning 30 in a week and a half, which means I have I don't know, 60% left of a script I need to finish before the 13th. <laughs> so we're gonna see how that goes. I, I'm praying I'll get it done. And that amount of time. I think I can, you know, between bills to pay and, you know, working and projects and auditions, you know, everybody can make time, right? Who needs sleep? Ah, but that all beside me, I am really excited to share this episode with you. I think it's been, ooh, it's been almost two months since I recorded this episode. Like that's, that's how ahead of it we've been for the show. But I got to sit down with Aki Kutabi who you may have seen in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, he's in the upcoming The Sun film with uh, Hugh Jackman. And you may have really noticed him in The Batman this last March as the uh, the lone passenger that those uh, the thugs pick on before you see the first big glimpse of Batman in all of his glory. And uh, he just, he knocked it out of the park. You know, for he had maybe, I don't know, a minute of screen time. But man, did he sell it. It was so much fun to sing down with him. He is uh, an amazing actor. He's an amazing guy. And he uh, he has a really fulfilling story that I can't wait for all of you to listen to. You know, whether it's growing up in Texas, going to school as a computer science major, and then just beelining it to become an actor and look where, where he's gone. He gives myself and everybody else struggling in this industry and a massive amount of hope to just say, you know, like, keep going, see what happens and and stick with it which is uh it's part of his uh his piece of advice so yeah without further ado let's sit down let's get right to it let's chat with aki kotabi hi my name is aki kotabi and i've been an i'm an actor uh for tv and film usually <laughs> <laughs> not nothing nothing theater based as we talked about before I, have you I cut theater? my teeth at the beginning on mm. on some theater and i have s tremendous respect so i i keep circling uh, uh getting into a show uh one day but mostly it's been tv film and i'm perfectly uh happy with with that um, well and your resume is like a mile and a half long so it <laughs> seems like that's that's really working out for you what uh we were talking about before, you know, you, you were growing up in Texas, you were more of a skater kid. Mm -hmm. How did you get into this side of the business? You know, how did you say, you, oh, I want to become an actor? It was, it was a weird, um, I think I was a computer science major at the University of Texas at Austin. And three years into that, I started to think, I, though I loved computer games, um, even before they were like normal, uh, uh, I, I somehow just was thinking this is not actually something I want to do as a like career, as a job. And I was just wandering around my campus and I saw a student film audition. And I don't know why I had nothing to, but I always liked movies. And I just thought that'd be so cool to be in like even a student film. I mean, I don't know. And, and so I went and I auditioned. I didn't know what I was doing. I was so nervous. I, I clearly remember how the paper, I kept, my hand was shaking. So the paper was too, they kept trying to 
tell me to like, can you get the paper to stop shaking? Anyhow, I left that and thought, you know what? I'm really, really bad at this. And, uh, I want to not be, it's just bad to be this bad at this. So I went and outside of my university, I took, I just looked around, I guess it wasn't Google back then in like 1990 or 2000, I guess it was. Um, and I got into a class outside of, uh, this, this lady named Mona Lee, at a place called Bright Lights Acting Studio. And that's where I first went, oh, I never knew that actors like have intentions or like you can break down a scene. I, I really just genuinely thought you just memorize some lines and act. And that got me going, oh, this is something you can study. And I kind of, I don't know, got quite into like studying it at the end of that class. The teacher told me I was probably better served behind the camera, and it really made me sad, to oh, be honest, because no. um, I really wished, I was like, I guess I was kind of shyly like, do you think I could maybe do at least do this? And she just said, I can tell you're really smart, and you're listening, and you take more notes than anyone has in my class, but you're really just trying to show me everything you think I want to see. And it really annoyed me, but I... So that's what she suggested, and I immediately went and looked again and found a different acting class, a Meisner method acting class, taught by a guy named uh, Stephen Prince, and another class by another actor named Michael Costello. I think all three of them are in Richard Linklater's Boyhood, uh, if you look throughout the thing. Oh, no way. Uh, Marco Perella plays a good uh, alcoholic father of the lead, I believe. Um, but through all those, I realized this is something I actually quite like and I could see it as my skating career was not going up I was more falling down and feeling the pain um, I and seeing younger kids that could just do everything I was doing switch and everything and I was like oh I'm already 20 <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's how it started and um, so long story short that started me on a journey which I was too afraid to go to Los Angeles for a lot of the teachers said it can be real hardcore out there. So I went, I had a friend who had gone to Japan and as, because she spoke English and was half Japanese, she seemed to do quite well. She got on the new, she became a newscaster actually for NHK for a while. So I thought I can go teach English and go to Japan. And I went out there for a year. Um, during that time, I decided to quit the teaching English and kind of went for broke as you could call it and i did go broke uh <laughs> credit cards kind of saved me at the beginning but uh after the end of all that i then went to la and i would say that's around 2005 so a five-year story and uh yeah i got to la october 2004 um by like I think it was like May 2005, I had done a national commercial, and that's where I finally made some money um, and started doing this. And it's been 17 years, I guess, since then. So that's how it, that's how it kind of happened. <laughs> wow, man. I, just thinking about the, the five-year journey, too. I mean, when you were in Japan, did any part of you think, okay, I... Uh... I should probably go back home or were you just devoted? I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it everything I have. And 
Yeah, I had I had grown up my my family's from Japan. My parents are from a small town, smaller oh, okay. town, but I and I had a so I had an aunt who lived in Tokyo and I was actually staying with her, so it was like my cousins, my aunt, my um and I was teaching English. And at first I I kept saying, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do the acting stuff," but I had to, you know, I was teaching English, I was having fun meeting new English teacher friends. And it was actually sadly my my mom I found out had uh, cancer and it was terminal. So I had to fly back and she passed away and we did a funeral in, in America and then had to do a memorial in Japan. And around then is when I just kind of went life's too short and was like, I'm going to have to really give this a go. And I kind of put my two weeks notice, I guess, or four weeks, I forget how long I had to give notice to stop teaching English. And I really started just looking. I actually was in a, I think, a script writing group initially. And in that group, someone was trying to make a play, uh, Samuel Beckett's play. And that's how I got my first play, (laughs) which, um, yeah. And the first uh, over there, the way they, you actually pay some money up front to help with the rental cost of the theater. Um, <laughs> and then you have to go try to get your friends to buy tickets or anyone to buy tickets. And you can make money if you sell enough tickets back. So because <laughs> of my English teacher friends, which were very supportive, I made, a, after a long while, a little bit of money. And in the midst of that, I got into a second play, which is a little bit more budgeted. And those are my two plays. That's why I said the plays. And then, yeah. I, then I then I was in the Scottish play, and I played Malcolm at the National Theatre in Japan, which was much bigger in Japan. But it was like an Australian English teacher had saved enough money for us to do one performance there, so we got to be like in the back with like these famous opera people doing like a world tour or whatever. And we're like this hard. We did like Macbeth to death metal to a band called Shakespeare in hell. And we rocked out at the (laughs) new national in English. Um, But those are my two plays that the second six months took me through. And from the first play, someone thought I could maybe record some like English language uh, educational materials. So they started taking me on a bullet train from Tokyo to, um, I believe it was Kobe, which is trippy, mm-hmm. to record these materials. But that paid like quite well. It was like quite shot. I was like, ah, the educational side, which I slowly came to learn over life, like the advertising educational commercial side has some funding, which can let you keep living and you can do your plays and work for three months and maybe make like 500 bucks. Yeah. Uh, so that's how... <laughs> That's how that all started. But yeah, at that time, I was definitely like floundering and sinking. <laughs> um, it seemed like you found an ebb and flow, you know, where things would go uh, a little down and then somebody would like connect with you and then it would come yeah. back up, you know? It slowly went and And, you know, the time in Japan is good. That's how I, one of my good friends to this day, Masa Kanome, if he's ever sees this, um, it was because I was doing the Macbeth play and that got me to meet um, somebody who was doing like voice coaching for like to get Japanese actors to sound more American or more, you know, correct with their English. So I helped her a bit. So then when I went to LA, her husband was in LA and he knew a guy named Masa. And that's one of the first people I knew when I showed up in, uh, 
So that, yeah. So, so in a sense, I think all of it, it's, it's, it's a kind of small world, but it, it started to grow from there. Um, yeah. And yeah. And then that first commercial got me to be able to get off of my, whatever the job for actors I got, uh, selling spoons on the phone to new to people that aren't happy that I was called telemarketing. Um, yeah, I got done with that. And yeah, from that point, I, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't really have to have a job. Uh, once in a while, I got one. Here but, and there. <laughs> but, other, but otherwise, yeah, that's how it. That's how it started. It seems really. so like serendipitous too. Your experience in Japan and the unfortunate, you know, passing of your your mother. Mm-hmm. It seemed like you had a a pretty solid support system. Did your family support you know you pursuing this, especially after that, or was there some concern? You know, I was really worried my dad wouldn't, because um, he he probably like suggested computer science in the beginning and i always said i, I like playing music and wanted to skate and he's so was like yeah but you know backup might be good and all this and one when i was you know three years into computer science i was quite nervous but i did tell him um my dad i think i think I want to be an actor and I knew this would come out of left field like I never had any I never showed that I wanted to be an actor in anything until then but he did just say okay you seem like you want to do it um and when I got back from Japan uh he did buy me a car and he lived in the east coast he lived near Philadelphia and I had to drive to LA um and he said you have a car good luck <laughs> and so <laughs> so yeah I mean yeah, he didn't, at least he wasn't, He yeah, he was supportive and he didn't um, say don't. After yeah. That. And I guess, yeah, it's funny. I think <laughs> oddly, he's a professor and oddly, I think over time he's found there's some parallels to how professors may be always trying to publish articles and they're always writing and trying to get it in the journals and stuff. Now, granted, they usually get a salary this whole time, but um on the other hand, he was like, it's kind of, yeah, sim- you know, there are some similarities. And I was like, yeah. over time, I've started to think that that could be true. Yeah, that's that's funny to think about. I, I know a professor here at CU Boulder, and <laughs> nine times out of 10, when we talk about his published works, yeah, I don't get credit for that, you know, or mm. I'm not paid or compensated for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, okay, I, I can I can see that. But it's uh, going you know, starting your journey in LA, did you get that national commercial without representation or? No, I, okay. <laughs> no, I, I got to LA, um, got that, uh, telemarketing job. And, uh, then I just, I got, I, I was just asking around and I was told about an acting bookstore called Samuel French. And I got some, uh, there's like a thing that shows all the agents in town. And it was some guy who gives you a free consultation. I did his free consultation. Uh, Keith Wolf, his name is yeah, that, which was nice, but I think he has a more paid version that he would have rather I did. And then I just mailed everybody, um, every single agent. <laughs> it was a lot of, and I bought like the specialty envelopes that are see-through, so your headshot can be seen. I mean, I don't think this is the way you do it now, uh, but it was a lot of mail. <laughs> and after mailing all, I don't know how many, two hundred, hundred, a lot of of those you know expensive postage uh i got two people that said can you come for a meeting and i met both and went with one and then continued telemarketing and started auditioning and 
feeling like this isn't going to, I don't, <laughs> it doesn't seem <laughs> like it's going to work or I don't know. It just didn't feel possible initially, but I kept going and then, yeah, then it finally, yeah, I happened to, I guess I feel really fortunate. I got, um, it was just, it's this commercial. It's called, uh, you, I still have it on my YouTube channel. So it's a singular go phone wicked wicked guy or wicked and it was just me in a skate park and it was actually a skate park i had um gotten a job sometimes like on the weekends kind of uh, making sure people um signed the waiver and had a helmet at the city of glendale in california so it's quite funny that i had to tell the manager there who's also a skater i was like yeah i can't do this saturday and he's like yeah it's cool man some commercials like booked it out so there's no shift anyways and i was like yeah i'm gonna be he was like oh i'm gonna be there and i was like i'm i'm in the commercial and he was like what and uh uh yeah but it was just me at this skate park and I think because, and I had bleached longer hair than now. <laughs> you uh, had bleached then. hair? Yeah, I have had bleached wow. hair for a while. And um, I think uh, that really helped because I was on TV like all the time. Like it was very surreal. I went from nothing to like everyone going, you're the phone dude. Uh, what do we do now? He's not like from anything. I mean, should we get his autograph? Like seriously, it was like that kind of random, like everyone knew for a while. Uh, in in oh five, I was the phone dude with the bleached hair, um, and I think that helped me get some of the meetings and stuff I got. And so I feel very fortunate because often you can get a commercial and just you know you're part of many people or you're in a montage and um, you don't often recognize every. It, it was not. It's not like I became the like carrot top or anything, but just for a brief <laughs> moment, I had that bleached haired commercial and thought, oh, this seems quite easy, and then it slowly trickles people just forget that's when i realized yeah people know and then people forget and a lot of people watch tv (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, people watch especially commercials i realized yeah you're in a commercial people see it fast much much faster than tv or film to be honest yeah i never really think about how many people watch sports on tv so if you're in a commercial and it's on tv during sports more of your friends are going to see that than, you know, a film or a TV show that you're in. Yeah, if you do a Super Bowl commercial, you'll yeah. it'll be everyone at, yeah. Have you done a Super Bowl commercial before? I was, but I was part of a small, it was in the Quesalupa. Was it Taco Bell Quesalupa commercial? Oh my God. Ah. Wait, how long ago was that? Yeah. I think I remember. Five years it. ago, maybe? Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> I realized, though, that was one... Um, it was actually well. I, I can't. I don't know if I can say, but it wasn't shot in the states. But it is a Taco Bell commercial, um, and uh, we uh, there was a long version which was just on the internet. And I'm not. I didn't make the version that was televised. Actually, I only made the long version. So oh, okay. perhaps I never got the yeah the crazy comments <laughs> on on Facebook thing as much but i really do notice when you do a commercial if you're clearly visible people see it much more than if you do like it's weird like i did uh i got to be in an episode of mad men and that's one of these things that a long time running like years even to this day once in a while people go dude i had no idea you're in this show i'm watching mad men now and i'm like yeah back in 08 i was in that <laughs> but yeah you saw it now <laughs> great show yeah it's it's long form dividends right i mean as far as people seeing i'm not sure what the uh 
the residual rate on that is you know from 2008 but uh, it still comes it's not it? like a tons but you know yeah. like some bits still come so thanks sag for <laughs> yeah for the residuals they created after 1960 um oh yeah yeah i feel like um if you're not sure oh i'm not sure if we can go out for dinner you know <laughs> one or two nights here and there and then you get a check oh okay well we're gonna go to the, the steakhouse yeah uh, i think we can, we can go I, I clearly remember a different time doing a film called um midgets versus mascots and gary coleman it was actually the last film that guy did before he passed it's so no sad way. but we um when i first met him we were staying in this like extended stay uh in in dallas hotel and um his tv show was on tv I, I just happened to be on when i met him and i'm like hey what's and i was like wow your show you wow you must still be making some and he's like man is and it was before i that doesn't actually make sense about 1960 but he did he was like no i don't get anything so Seriously? whatever that time or maybe because he was a kid when he i have no idea why but i was thinking yeah, mm, yeah so those residuals can can really help uh and that was a clear example. I was like, wow, that's terrible. It's just playing. <laughs> yeah, just <You> know? <laughs> in syndication on so many different channels and you're not seeing a single dime for it. That's yeah. That's terrible. I mean, speaking of of TV going from commercial into TV work, how long was that that stretch for you? Was it pretty quick after the commercial or did you have a couple of years? Where you uh, just... I had a cool, uh, as soon as I did the commercial, I did this independent film called The Achievers, uh, which sadly never fully came out but it had like randall park is in it um tim what? chu who i don't know what he's on i think he's on a new show now but quite a few i met quite a few asian actors in la at that time um who i've still stayed friends with some um so i got to go to film festivals with that and at the same time my agents um i got me onto stacked pamela anderson stacked one line that was my first thing it's a stand-up or sitcom on stacked uh and they kept changing my one line which was freaking me out at the time and uh and i got to do a episode of er but i got cut out or art my segment got cut out it was with john leguizamo so i clearly remember it was commercial lead in an indie film that you've never seen and then those two tv things so actually the first year 05 was pretty felt like pretty busy and then um the second year not as much and then by the third year i felt like i was kind of slowly climbing it um it seemed to be re fairly regular not like all the time but fairly i seemed to get a couple commercials couple tv things and once every couple years a decent part in a film that was kind of the the trajectory at the time then. And were you living off of those, you know, those those payments, like yeah. enough to get by and still? Yeah, you know. um, I had wow. the most random stuff fall into. I don't know how to explain it. I at, at one point I got a job as a music coordinator on a game show for NBC called The Singing Bee, which turned into the CMT, uh, The Singing Bee with, um, oh no. Uh, Melissa Peterson was the host. First, it was oh. Joey Fatone from NSYNC yeah. on NBC. And uh, then it became Melissa Peterman for CMT. And those, when that job would come around, that was one big income boost, I guess, when it would, whenever it did come around. Um, and otherwise, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, yeah, acting. And if not acting, on unemployment <laughs> was the two things. That was the thing I figured out early on is you can be 
when you're not when you're looking you're unemployed and when you're booked you're not you're employed um so i did that for a while uh but then i moved to london eventually in 2012 and now it's just acting <laughs> there is no there is no system like that over here uh, oh really yeah it's a yeah different system different system that. entirely uh over here yeah it, i wasn't so you're you're actually living there full time then and just traveling yes, i've been here since yeah 2012 wow, man what <laughs> i have to ask going from uh living in la to mm -hmm. working and living in london was that a huge shock for you as far as just getting used to the way they do things there? Or did you feel pretty comfortable navigating that? Cause that's a pretty scary, you know, just it was a, it was a nice kick in the butt. Like, so <laughs> when I was in Japan, I had, um, I had met a girl from London and I brought her to LA and then eventually she got a job offer to work in London where she's from. And I thought, you know, she had come to LA for me, um, and so I don't know, at, by that time I'd been in LA eight years and I just thought I will, uh, I'll do the same. I'll, I'll try. I, I thought, why not? I felt like, I don't know, at the time it was kind of crazy. Most people are like, why? <laughs> That's a weird way to go. Even when I first got to London, they're like, what? You came from LA? Everyone's trying to go to LA. Like, why would you? Um, so it did feel kind of crazy in the beginning and the first year here was tough i did get into some plays uh, like devised theater at the beginning here but over time i found perhaps maybe it's one of those things like being a niche it was always trying to find what's your unique selling point niche type thing in la and perhaps over here i was a little bit more of a niche um and yeah somehow now yeah i feel like it it worked it worked better in the end it opened my eyes to actually more worldwide casting i feel like maybe some of the big movies came over here and i never knew that they were always coming over here and they they work on a different contract not sag on equity is the british uh acting union and it's not quite as good to be 100 percent honest but really um, they they come out here and then they and people go shoot in you know europe uh, where the cost can be cheaper in certain parts. Uh, so it was kind of eye-opening to see all of that. But I, I do still have, you know, reps in LA, and I claim I am based, and I can still go back to LA. And uh, that system has been working for me whenever I do get a job. I got a very interesting job through LA, but it had to shoot in Vancouver. So I had to go couch surf in LA to be on hold to get flown to Vancouver to shoot for five months. Oh uh, that God. was Man in the High Castle. So that's how I shot my, I was in season three of Man in the High Castle. And um, yeah, that's how, that's how I did that. <laughs> uh, it was crazy. My my flatmate at the time, or my roommate, or however you, uh, per, you know, person I shared an apartment with here, they say flatmate. Um, <laughs> he moved to LA while I was in LA. And he got me a different roommate or flatmate. So I came back to a different flatmate. It was very uh, surreal at the time. Did he at least but, let you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He, yeah, I knew he was going to move. I, he, he'd come. He was initially only going to stay with me for a little bit. And he was like, just in en route to LA, he was, he was uh, going to stay a little bit, turned into quite a while. And um, yeah, 
he uh, it was a mutual friend of ours who was like an independent film producer okay. um, and then actually that's probably how i ended up getting to do the movie clay's redemption which i got to be clay in um is because the maybe perhaps because <laughs> i was there i have no idea i'll just uh yeah so it's a it's been a kind of interesting journey but it, it's it's cool it's 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 been fun yeah i think you have one of the most unique journeys as an actor especially an actor of you know um of asian descent as far as the inclusion movement goes for right now have you noticed a a difference as far as what you're being cast for compared to what you're being cast for 10 years ago or is mm. the, I, I guess you know you developed yourself so long over the course of 17 years that you do have a notoriety to you and people know you so i'm sure it's it's a little different compared to somebody just starting out but what are your what are your thoughts on the whole inclusion movement as a whole i mean is it different in london or does it feel about the same oh you mean can you explain to me what you mean by like inclusion movement? You yeah. mean like how everyone wants to be more include, like, so even if you are, wh whatever show you're doing, you want to make sure that you, you're fairly keeping all the genders and all the races equally put in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, movement? uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm of uh, Native American, Chinese, African, and Swedish descent. So I'm like everything in, in a bubble, but right. I was cast primarily as, you know, like Hispanic, gangbangers or you know something oh, right something yeah. really heavy based but now it's it's a little different uh well, that's I think great just that's talking great about hear, yeah. you know like that point of view you know what i mean whereas 10 years ago maybe you were cast as you know oh you are the 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 japanese tech or you know you're you're this or that whereas now you could be just just a person you know like, it does feel like there's a shift in a sense i feel like yeah maybe some of those tech roles now it's like a different, now they wanted to go a different direction to make the tech roll. I, I feel like I have noticed that. Okay. Also, there's like worldwide funding. I've noticed like just, you know, China is a big investing uh, country. And I've noticed, I feel like a shift in certain films I've seen where I see like Hollywood actors that know how to speak Mandarin and, you know, <laughs> things like that. It's so, over, yeah, I think... I think things maybe perhaps have changed over time, but honestly, I have been asked that before. And I guess for me, I haven't felt too much like I've been put in, in too specific of a box. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, it, it feels like perhaps maybe it's, it's, it's become more interesting now, but I can't tell if, if that's to do with, um, I can just second guess, like, like in my head, ever since I did Everly and I died, I've now died more in things. Oh, if really? Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten to, yeah, like in, in Man in the High Castle, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, I feel like, so that is one, but I don't know if that's necessarily like true or not, if that, or it's just my own thinking about it. And from the student films I started in to now, I don't know, it's been quite varied. And and sometimes, you know, there has been like that stereotypical uh, role. And I do see in some of the things I read now, they if they do have that, they want to make a reason for it much more than ever before. It's not supposed to just be the, the butt of a joke, I guess, if it's there. Uh, so if that's the case, then that's great. I like that we're going that way. 
uh, London. So, I mean, I was had my own. I thought everyone here drank tea at four and spoke with such a Hugh Grant accent. And then <laughs> in reality, you come here. I've had friends come and visit. Like this is, this is like crazier than New York. Like this is just like. Yeah, and and it's cool to see shows from here coming like I maybe destroy you or it just shows more of what what is more actually so London and so I think it's cool to see yeah all these all these things opening up to to show um, things like more fully. Yeah, it seemed. I mean, I'm a I'm an Anglophile to a to a fault, I guess. But yeah, having no idea that there was such a rich diverse amount of cultures in one area especially London not even mm. realizing it that's yeah I had the same sort of <laughs> preconceived notion of oh yeah oh, have you have you been have you been I, over here so I haven't been but I have so many friends over there I you know as I started to talk to them watching you know um like their version of the news and just like getting used to I was doing uh research for an accent so I was just watching oh, anything okay. English based uh which has since gone away but yeah having those preconceived notions of what that's like or maybe what Tokyo is like uh mm -hmm. just as they have preconceived notions of what LA is like it's just it's really funny how uh you know it takes you just going over there and realizing oh they're still just people. I have started to <laughs> yes I've started to think you can read about something as much as, you know, like I could read how to ride a bike or how to skateboard, but until you do it, it will be like, I don't know. I've never, I keep wanting to skydive and I can have any, all these people tell me what it's like, but until I actually do it, I don't think I'll get it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Why haven't and you gone? I feel, huh? Why haven't you skydived? I don't, I just haven't. I should, right? Yeah. I just, just haven't. Just do it, man. Um, I know. No, I, I w and I, I plan to, but I, yeah, it's one of the things that I haven't made the time for. It's my own fault. I will do it. But it, yeah, it's very, it's, it's, uh, I recently had to visit, um, a different country and I had, I was put into a Zoom meeting about explaining the difference in the culture and all this stuff. And I got myself all like amped up. But then once I finally got there, it's like, I don't know how to, it, it was so much better than what I thought from how it was told to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and that's probably a good thing to remember uh, through life as we watch what we see on TV. Um, I'm not saying that everything is you know, <laughs> roses everywhere either, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Is there any place you'd like to to work that you haven't worked yet, like another country or all sort ever? Yeah, okay. Uh, keep bringing me more places. I'd love it. I I love just checking out new places. Um, I don't have any specific uh, ones, but oh really? Okay. Um, I guess I hope to after having lived in Japan, it would be funny to go back and work on like what I call I shouldn't say a proper, but like a Western or like a american or u.s production shooting in japan would be very interesting to see versus you know the plays i started with but like or t or even to work on japanese tv itself it, it could be i've quite different but i'm yeah all sorts anywhere too else i'm sure uh india could be quite intense uh you know i have a brother living in thailand now i, I don't know there's so much to to see um I'm I'm open for it all. <laughs> <laughs> what about traveling in your free time? Is that something you like to go do when you're not working? 
Yeah, you. Most of the time, I find it's been the work that takes me to. But I do when I can. I try to go and I re, and from here, it's quite. Yeah, Europe is very close, so it's very easy to try checking out new places. So recently, I have been uh, seeing some cities. Uh, like, well, of course, I've actually not been to Paris in a while, so I went to Paris kind of recently. It's just a two-hour train ride, you know. It's That's not that it, hard. Really? Yeah. It, oh wow! It, it took me a while <laughs> to get over there, but went to Seville, Paris. Like, yeah, I try to. It's been it's been good, and it, it is really that close. It's it's more. I think COVID kept it on the down low, but it's starting to be a bit better now. Go back. But you still have to take all these tests and kind of roll the dice and you know, have this slight worry that if you do test positive, you have to suddenly amend your plans or maybe stay in quarantine in a government hotel, you know, all that stuff. So that's the slight like behind travel right now. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> coming back to England is apparently right, quite easy now. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Coming back. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but in general, most of the rules to work on anything nowadays, they do quite a lot of, uh, rigorous testing i've been i've realized on one thing they do triple testing just in case you know because you can i guess it's sometimes things don't come up positive when they can so i know yeah i was like wow you you do the lateral flow rapid pcr and pcr all like just just to double check every single day and you're like really okay nose has been prodded yeah exactly (laughs) yeah um but yeah (laughs) Shoot, I thought I thought just one test was bad, and having a very you know tired technician just shoving that oh yeah, you know. (laughs) The thing is, it doesn't have to go up. So as long as they go this way, it's not as bad. Like you know, and I think people have gotten better at it. I think at the beginning there were some people that would just jam it up, and it was like very start. (laughs) Yeah, but we're getting prepping you for Egyptian mummification or something. Yeah, 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 right in your brain, yeah, but now it's, it's, it's getting better, I think. Well, I'd be, uh, I'd be kicked in the pants by our listeners if I didn't ask you what your experience was like on, uh, on the Batman, if you wouldn't mind gearing us through, you know, the audition process or your experience on it, if you have anything of note you wanted to talk about for that, that'd be awesome. Yes, um, it's, a, it was a surprising, um, I have to think carefully because I, you know, uh, what I say, but uh, I believe I can say this. It was a very, I didn't know. Um, I actually got a text from the casting um, saying, can we pick you up and take you to the studios? And I didn't actually know why at the mo- at the beginning. And I suddenly met um, the producer, Dylan Clark, and I did a scene read of a scene that I was just seeing there. I wasn't allowed to know much else. And then I went straight into um, stunt rehearsal. And I don't know enough 100% details to what everything was, but that's how I figured out what I was on. And this was a while back. This was actually before COVID um, in the beginning. And yeah, I think it was supposed to be a week of work there. And then we we're going to go shoot some in Chicago and then COVID happened. And then it was on hold for a while. And then eventually never went to Chicago, um, finished the shoot all here. They built some stuff in stages and, uh, 
I think that's, I can, yeah, that's, that's about, but it was, so it was, again, I, I had been taping for this casting office here, this lady named Lucy Beffin. Um, and I had taped for various things. I think I've worked on some other projects through them and somehow I have to really thank her for this. She must've just thought I'd be right to do this right enough to go all the way straight. It was like, I guess going to the super ultimate, like just do the read once for, or for the, you know, for Dylan Clark. Uh, and that, and I guess he can make a decision because that's, that's all that needed <laughs> to happen. Um, so that I have to thank her for that. Um, and yeah, that was how that all happened to be honest. Um, and then it was weird that it, yeah, it took a while to finish, you know, cause of, I think we finished it much, much later that year. Um, and then you have to keep quiet for, <laughs> till it comes out. <laughs> um, but I'm very happy and you never know also, uh, with these films, you know, they, they often have, can, they shoot more than they'll be and then they can trim down to what they are. So some part of me was like, you know. To, you you might not be in the film you don't know you really don't uh and then finally 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 um i had a friend of a someone i worked with earlier who messaged me on instagram and was like i saw a premiere wow good job and that's when i was like ah, i made the cut cool um so that's how Man. my experience of it all was and then i went and watched the movie and it was awesome which right was really cool too <laughs> uh yeah it was actually really nice she messed otherwise i would have been going to the movie like i don't know did it make i don't even know if i'm in this you know like that's how it would have been to be a hundred percent honest um uh what else well, i posted i mean and then yeah we worked with rain and that was my first time with I guess for film, like it's really rainy, like, or they really used a ta tank of water. It wasn't warm and oh, it's cold and, but they, <laughs> you know, they gave us wetsuits, but they do have to not show. So they cut anything that would show. So actually it's a wetsuit, but it's kind of leaky wet. I mean, it's <laughs> leaky anyways. Um, and it has cold water and, and, and I realized, you know, they, yeah, we, we, we worked on it for a while for what you see in the thing. Really? Um, they, they take a lot of takes and a lot of coverage. And it really made me think of the more watery, you know, or the set pieces that, that exist in the film down the line in the film that to me are even more extravagant. I was like, <laughs> Jesus, I wonder how long, you know, that must've been a lot of work too. Yeah. So big budget filmmaking. There's a lot of work in, wow. involved. Oh, but it was really cool. Yeah. yeah. It was a really great experience. And um, I had to ask, like, it just, you know, it's, it's a very pivotal part of the movie too. So, uh, you know, your, your first intro to Robert Pattinson's. Yes. Batman. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and it, it's all, and for me, I, I don't know. I think I, one part of what I love about movies so much is I, to me, they're like a bit of magic. And then to work on it is like getting to see the trick like of a magician, if that makes sense. Yeah. And each movie does things differently, but it was very interesting to see all the different ways um, they shoot it. To and, and and we shot some really cool shots that perhaps aren't in the final movie, but I I now know how you could you know make this kind of shot where it looks like the the camera goes like through everyone, if that makes sense. And how I don't think that made the that's not one of the takes that's in there, but it's um. Yeah, it was it was a really good experience, and and also, 
interesting to see uh, how uh, guns and things can can be done safely uh, and also uh, yeah crazily in a sense yeah thank you for, for talking about that no worries. <laughs> it's just i can see the joy on your face uh, especially <laughs> as a movie fan you know uh kind of revisiting that and in addition to that as we kind of wrap up this interview i always like asking our listener our listeners asking our guests if they have a party story so with your career in the industry do you have a story that stands out um you know before anything else whether it's a experience on set maybe it's somebody you you ran into but something that happened uh, in your career that you have just sort of clung on to for the last 17 years do you have anything that you could think of the first thing that came to mind i didn't know if i did but the first thing that came to mind was um i got a part in a film called The November Man with Pierce Brosnan. And I remember I was um, living in a house with a bunch of actors at the time. And I had one of the other actors, you know, help me tape this thing. It was just taped and sent off to, and then next thing I know, they're like, yeah, we're going to fly you to to Belgrade, Serbia. But I'd never met any, you know, anyone, anything. I was like, is this really, re this is kind of surreal <laughs> um, that, that we've gone that way. And this was, you know, well before COVID, this was a while, like 20. 15, I believe. Um, but I go to uh, Serbia, to Belgrade. And as soon as I got there, they were like, oh, uh, they're actually having like a kind of fundraising or like a kind of dinner party. So do you mind, do you want to go to the dinner party? Like, um, like it's like a barbecue. Um, so I hadn't checked in or anything. So the driver, I literally was like, uh, I mean, I guess it's probably best to meet, you know, Pierce Brosnan and all these people. And I go there and I knew that there was a guy named uh, Will Patton in this movie. Because as a kid, I had watched this movie that for some reason it stuck in my head forever. It's called No Way Out with Kevin Costner, old movie. And he's the guy, he, he shoots himself in the head. And I remember the way his hair, something about it, it was his face or it was just always burnt in my memory from being a kid. And to then show up to this dinner party, I didn't know any anyone really i'm still got a suitcase luckily they're like you can leave the suitcase in the car but i was like i don't know where i am what's going on i slowly realized pierce is very busy because he's got some investors talking to him luke bracy from point break is is hanging out he was chill like hey buddy yeah welcome you know and then but then yeah i saw will Patton, and i was like i just had to tell him like i i've known of your fate i never knew i'd meet you I never, in my mind as a kid, you were like a fictional person in this movie, not someone I'm going to like ever meet. And he's just was like, what? what? What are you talking about? I was like, well, uh, No Way Out. And he's like, oh, yeah, you, you know, it's the same director. Roger Donaldson's the director of November Man. Yeah, it was us back in, God, 1981 or something. And I just found it so surreal. Like I tried to explain. I think he didn't get what I was. I think he was kind of like, is this guy crazy? <laughs> like kind of come up to him like, hey, I've known you since. He's like, hey, how long have you known me for? How did you know me for? What is that? Uh, but uh, in the end, throughout the shoot, he was actually a really nice guy. And we kind of talked a bit and... For me, that's a story when you were just asking about parties, somehow that's what came to my mind. This is the most random, like, arrive, go to a barbecue. There's Pierce Brosnan, but he's busy. I can say hi to Will Patton. And after all that, finally go to my hotel and realize, you know, I need to make sure to know my lines and, and get ready to <laughs> shoot this part. <laughs> um, it was a surreal, it felt surreal to me, I guess, from, from, 
dreaming about being in movies to then like meet one of the people that I don't know how to explain. It's not like I was waiting my whole life to meet Will or anything, but it was just like, oh, wow. I, re I clearly remember that movie like freaking me out when I was like nine or something. Um, wow, uh, and now I'm meeting you. So that's that's the that's the party when you said uh, story that just came to mind. And it was, yeah, every once in a while I sometimes pinch myself and think like, uh, this is so cool to get to do this. And I'm really, you know, each person has their own roller coaster, but I'm really trying to take the time to enjoy where wherever I get to go and try to remember stay, to be in that time and, and, and enjoy it, I guess. I have no doubt other than what you said about the the injuries and stuff. Um, it's probably the same when you when you worked on Wind River kind of yeah. thing. Um, it's usually the cool. first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, you're not even thinking about it and you go, oh yeah, this would be really cool to, to bring up. And yeah. can I just say your your version of Will Patton's voice is spot on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he has such a cool voice. And then, he you does. know, much later, he has a very cool. And then during the pandemic, I started doing some audiobooks and I quickly realized, like I had to come up with a profile. I didn't have any audio. So I was like, well, I love Stephen King. So I started reading some stuff. And then I looked up who... <laughs> narrated the Stephen King bit that I had picked and I was like oh my friend it's Will Patton oh wow that's uh, weird but uh it was just um yeah he's got a cool voice I guess he does he does no that's a that's a perfect story man it's <laughs> going back to like the serendipity part of, of our lives and and seeing people that kind of stick into your mind yeah you don't think you'll ever meet them and when it happens it's yeah it is it's like an out-of-body experience right it's just so strange but uh yeah they, thank you for sharing that that's that's a no wonderful worries party yeah story. i, I, I feel it's akin to if i've never met arnold schwarzenegger but i'm assuming if i met him as a kid he's another person i've say watched so many of his yeah. movies and it would just be kind of <laughs> surreal to i don't know make him a real person and not the <laughs> arnold i know from yeah that's weird but yeah not the not the commando Arnold, but the you know, former <laughs> governor. Predator. Yeah. Predator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, going back to you know your your journey in the arts industry and sort of what you've been through. Do you have any sort of advice you could pass on our listeners, whether they're you know somebody who are just starting out in the industry, maybe somebody who's been in it for a while and they're trying to figure out if they should stick with it? Do you have anything that could kind of help them keep going? I mean, I think if you love it, you just yeah stick with it i I don't have any i don't know i th i feel like genuinely i really like to look at those like my own thing as a little roller coaster but i think everyone's got their own roller coaster um but i feel like it is a small world overall the 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 people making these movies it's 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 a relatively small world compared to the whole world and if i don't know i guess if if uh if you keep at it, I feel like you will stay. It's good to keep in contact with people, but like you'll, you'll, you'll keep seeing them and, uh, and it does, it will work out. I feel like, I know that's, that sounds like very kind of overly optimistic because it doesn't always for everyone. It's not like I could become, I now at my age, if I had some dream to be a pro skater, I don't think it's going to, it's going to just happen. <laughs> I don't think I can just start jumping down, you know. I, so there is probably some point where it's like maybe it doesn't always work. But 
over what I've seen. I feel like the people that stick around, like keep trying, um, maybe it's not like mindlessly like pounding your head against the door, but you know, a setback is, I feel like even if you look at some of the greatest success stories you hear about, often there were quite a few fails that they got over to become what they did. And, and I think, yeah, I think just to me, keeping at it is, um, you don't know where it's going to go, but if you, if you like it, then you'll be grateful for when it does happen. And at least that's, that would be, that's what I've done. I don't know if that's the smartest or not thing to do, <laughs> but I will say I'm not living on credit cards and like freaking out and selling spoons anymore. And it, it does, uh, it is surreal sometimes, you know, how it has been, but I, I think it's really cool. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's a fun journey. So keep at it and i have no doubt or you maybe maybe you've been at it forever um then remind then keep at it if you still love it and don't if you don't <laughs> i think that's that's probably what i would say yeah that's that's a sage piece of advice especially if you don't enjoy it because some people <laughs> do move on to other yeah. things you know it, it can transition into other i know many people actually i would say want to maybe become a director or a writer or someone that has maybe perhaps more control like to be a working actor doesn't necessarily mean you have much, like in the whole i mean the dp probably not, like in the whole chain of everything it's an actor is just an actor <laughs> like you you just you need there's a lot more to filmmaking and i'm very appreciative of that i'm you know like as an actor that it's not your job to be rewriting the script or anything um, perhaps if you're a big star, you can do all that, but that doesn't mean people appreciate that you do that or not either. So I don't know, like, unless, you know, you, you wear different hats and call yourself different titles. So I can see it, uh, people can naturally not just like it, but I genuinely love the kind of slight fear I get when someone's like, I think you could be Winston Churchill. I'd be like, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, well, like, but uh, that hasn't happened. But you know, that's kind of the feeling I sometimes have. And I guess I still find that to be enough to want to, yeah, uh, just do that. Um, yeah. And so for me, that's, that's good. Oh, that's, uh, but, that's fantastic. Every, everyone's journey is different right so yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and your your career shows itself that you've you've adapted you've adjusted and you've kept going so that's uh you know that i think it's a great piece of advice and i try i guess i'll do yeah. i can i can say one thing about something i'm excited about that's going to come out in june yeah. um over the uh lockdown times i don't know how i i got asked to do a couple podcasts initially um which ended up getting me into some one called the Passenger List that Kelly Marie Tran is the lead. It's got, it's got a bit of a following, and I got to play who she's always looking for, her brother Connor, which is really cool in season two. And I think one of my best performances I've done on a podcast in in season two. I think they won some awards recently. But that long story short is I I don't um, I will be the lead of a new podcast coming out called Boom, which is going to release through Stack S T A K. They can, I think their handle on Twitter is S-T-A-K pod. And um, I'm very excited and yet nervous because, yeah, there's a lot more pressure, I guess, 
if you're the <laughs> the main guy, like if they don't like it, <laughs> probably, I, I realized I was like, oh, right, because I'm not often always the main, you know, person of the thing. So it's just kind of okay. It's like, you know, I do my part and that's that, but I'm excited and nervous about it. It's, yeah, this podcast called Boom coming out, but I think it's a really cool story. So I hope um, if you want to listen, uh, yeah, you can listen to the journey of Jim in the 90s Enron times. That's kind of... <laughs> with a twist i don't know what else i can i don't know if i'm yeah, supposed don't to spoil say it more, but yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's really cool and it's got some really great uh cast which this there's an actress named sharon d clark who is quite prolific over here and a guy named omari douglas who was in the show it's a sin um quite a decent little uh ensemble so i'm excited for it to come out and fingers crossed that uh, everyone loves it. it is weird I guess everyone's like oh you want to be in stuff everyone loves but I, I thought it was good and I guess you can love it or hate it but uh um yeah I'd like it it's it, it is something you're like oh, I'm curious would you like will you like it or not <laughs> um yes. I never knew that I cared that much about that but you you genuine or I personally am like oh, I hope you like it <laughs> which, which yeah it's weird I that was it's less assertive than you're going to love it. It's more, just, yeah. give it a shot. You know, you might like yeah. it. I hope you do. I do. I genuinely <laughs> do. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that coming out. That's and so I can cool, actually man. say something about that. So that's great. Well, that's because I'm writing down notes. Uh, and I always, you know, the last question I ask is, you know, if you have anything you want us to promote. So it seems like those, those two might be, might be the key. The, the boom <laughs> podcast. And yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'm thankful that I've been busy. Um, so I should be appearing on certain screens, but I can't say anything <laughs> uh, else. Uh, <laughs> I'd, yeah. pro I'd prod you for it, but yeah, we don't want to break any NDAs for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm just really happy we did this, man. This has been a lot of fun. I want to thank you for ah, yeah. Thanks show. for thanks for messaging uh, my my reps in LA. It was a surprise, yeah. and and now I know. And you're in, and uh, yeah, not in LA. Yeah, not in LA. Colorado actor traveling to LA or New Mexico when needed. Um, yeah. yeah, this is a this has been a really just a fun chat, and I'm glad to. I could steal about an hour or so of your time before you go out on date night. Uh, <laughs> I do have one more thing for you, mm -hmm. and that is our uh, our awkward goodbye. So awkward yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Okay. So you 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 said you're a movie fan. You've seen Wayne's World, right? Mm hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know. Remember it like in that well, but I know. Yeah, Wayne's World, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, there's it's yeah. fair. There's like five of us in the world that are like hardcore Wayne's World people. Uh, but are I, you one of the five? Oh or? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, it's one of those movies I grew up that and Tommy boy, two comedies that I always grew up with. And, uh, <laughs> I can, I can quote backwards and forwards, but I conclude every single episode with our awkward goodbye, which is keyed by a, a silent cameraman countdown from me. And then when I point to you, give us your best awkward goodbye. It doesn't have to be the word goodbye or words. Goodbye. It could just be anything to sort of end the zoom call. <laughs> okay. As awkward sure. as possible. You, you think sure. you might be ready for that? Uh-huh. Okay. All right, man. So I'm going to get started here and Ed. So goodbye. <laughs>